Well, they are united primarily through the Sustainable Development Goals and the Agenda 2030, because that is a broad unifying development agenda that brings the 193 members of the United Nations together to take action in concert in order to lift people uh, out of poverty, deprivation, hunger, malnutrition, etc. And to create the conditions, sustainable conditions, to transform the world into a more sustainable uh, way of operating. So it's about the planet as much as it is about people, but it is really a people's driven agenda to ensure that human beings that occupy this planet live their lives in dignity um, so that they can pursue their dreams. But we are also united in other ways because when peace and security is disrupted, such as it has been in the last two or three years in particular, the impact is consequential for everyone. It's in all our interests to promote and to secure peace because the lack of peace, the lack of harmony in the system undermines the system and makes complicated all of the other great goals and objectives that we have. And now, of course, you mentioned of disruptions to peace and security, and mm -hmm. we cannot go without talking about what is currently happening in the Middle East. The conflict between Israel and Hamas has created a catastrophic humanitarian crisis in Gaza and is also putting the wider region at risk. Can the General Assembly exert any influence here? Well, we have. We have, because two and a half weeks ago, the General Assembly successfully adopted what was, what is the first resolution coming out of the United Nations system on the situation in Gaza, calling for a ceasefire, calling for the release, unconditional release of all of the hostages, and also calling for the provision of humanitarian aid and support uh, so that the people who need that support in Gaza would have it. Now, put into context the fact that at that time, the Security Council of the United Nations had met and tried to agree a resolution on four separate occasions and had failed. So the General Assembly, in fact, was able to come up with a resolution for which there was a broad consensus. 121 countries, I believe, supported it. That, I think, has been a big contribution made by the United Nations because in furtherance of the goals of the Charter, which is to save humanity from the scourge of war, we were able to bring forward this resolution as a way of stopping the war. We've said plainly in that resolution that what the General Assembly requires, desires, is a ceasefire in order to save human lives. 11,000 people dead as a consequence of the action in Gaza is too much. It's unspeakable and it is unacceptable. And so we've called for that, but also emphasizing the necessity for Hamas to return their hostages to their families, unconditionally so. And um, as you reminded us, the General Assembly, of course, it unites all 193 UN member states yes. and your resolutions, the General Assembly resolutions, though non-binding, they do carry moral weight. Absolutely. 
they make a political declaration on the part of the majority of members of the international community. And in a sense, they create a sort of soft law because resolutions of the General Assembly represent, in a sense, the conscience of humanity, the dominant view of humanity. We never get unanimity in resolutions. But when you can command more than two-thirds of the votes in the House, that's a powerful symbol, a powerful message of agreement, of consensus. And that's what we were able to do. The hope is, our desire is, our call on all the relevant players is that they would honor and implement that resolution alongside the resolution that was agreed on Wednesday in the Security Council. I know you mentioned that, of course, this is a reflection of the conscience of the majority of UN states. Yes. Is that enough? Because some people might say, oh, well, that's kind of like the diplomatic version of it's the thought that counts. But the thought does count. The thought does count. If you listen carefully to the positions and the views that are being reflected, the big debate is about principles and values. So the thought does count. The politics only arises insofar as there is a different point of view and differing points of view. So thoughts count and are powerful. That is why a resolution passed in the General Assembly assumes a high degree of importance because it bears powerful political messages. That is why countries negotiate these resolutions with such energy and dedication because they appreciate the potential impact it's going to have publicly. No country, most countries that I'm aware of, are not comfortable feeling themselves politically isolated. Countries are like human beings. Human beings like to be appreciated, loved. They like to feel the respect and support of their friends. They want to engage. They want to have a conversation. We were meant to be that way. Countries are no different. Because when you build those bridges of relationships, it widens the space within which you can act as a country, as a sovereign. When you do not have those supporting relationships, the options you have narrow significantly. And so that is the import of a General Assembly uh, resolution. It provides the messaging that can make a big difference politically. And since public opinion always plays a role in these matters, we must keep that in mind. Countries are keen to appreciate how their behaviors are being seen in the public domain. Now, speaking about building bridges, mm -hmm. one of your priorities or concerns is the status of the so-called least developed countries yes. in the world. And particularly, we know that many are trapped in debt because of the current structure of the current global financial architecture. Yes. The Secretary General himself has also said it's outdated many times. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what action the General Assembly can take in this regard? Well, the global financial architecture is outdated. It was set up at a time in the late 1940s when most of the countries that exist now did not exist at all. The so-called Global South, the group of 77 and China that I believe comprises approximately 
140 countries did not exist. So you have a global financial architecture that was designed at a different time with goals and objectives that did not take into account the developmental needs and priorities nor peculiarities of developing countries. You're right, I've prioritized this group of what we refer to as countries in vulnerable situations because they are developmentally stretched. The system has not really catered or been designed to take into account the needs of those countries and to help and support them to move up the developmental ladder in a sustainable way. Hence the call of the Secretary General and others like myself for the global financial architecture to be revisited, for the terms and conditions of lending, of borrowing uh, from global financial institutions to be improved, the terms of access, the interest rates, for example, what we want, what we seek, what we're pursuing assiduously is sustainable development so everyone benefits. Finally now, you know, there's this idea among some people, there's criticism that, you know, the United Nations is outdated and ineffective. And by extension, they're also criticizing the General Assembly. How do you defend against such criticism? Or what do you say when people uh, have those kinds of views about the UN? Well, first of all, you know, people have the right to their views. I would encourage them, however, to engage with us a little bit more. Because what people see in the news, in a one-minute news bite on the 7 o'clock news, does not constitute the entirety of the work of the UN. Having said that, I would also say that the UN itself is not insensitive to the fact that there's a kind of lethargy and disappointment out there with how the UN has been performing of late. But let me say this. The UN is an organization comprised of 193 members. The UN does not exist out there on its own. It's comprised of 193 sovereign governments. That word sovereign is very important because it means that those governments can and do make decisions based on their national interest and priorities. And what the UN does is create a platform for them to come together to try to agree common approaches to various global problems. So I'll ask this, if the UN is irrelevant, what would you replace it with? And so I say to people, thank God the UN exists because it creates a much needed platform for coordination, consultation, and cooperation among 193 states that would otherwise have no means and no opportunity to meet, to coordinate, to solve global problems and issues. That's a powerful and potentially groundbreaking, earth-shattering achievement that the UN has made over the years and besides prevented World War III. It has not happened. <laughs>